0: Camilla and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So let's roll. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cat's Whisker. This is Camilla and today we're going to talk about something a bit different, something a bit technical. We're going to talk about the history of the AC30 and Vox in general, a British industry that in the 60s conquered the world. And since I can't really be trusted with the technical side of things, with me, just like in the past, we have Liam Mannion, musician and resident at the cabin club hello
1: hello
0: (laughs) I always ask for his help when it comes to technical things because I'm not a musician and uh, you (laughs) and you definitely know more about stage gear than I do in fact I believe you've been quite obsessed with stage gear over the years (laughs)
1: yes
0: quite quite obsessed (laughs) and uh Tell us, why should we talk about the AC-30? Why is it so special? We're gonna investigate all the technical reasons later, but tell us, why do you think it is so special?
1: Because it's the classic British sound and it's been used on countless recordings over the years since it was made popular by a band that we all know. (laughs) Uh, Not just them, obviously, but.
0: Yeah. So, obviously, Liam was talking about the Beatles, but there are many other bands that actually endorsed Vox and the AC30 in particular. But since I love a little bit of drama, I also want to tell to all the other people that are not very technically trained, like myself, um, that this story is worth listening because it's full of drama and twists and turns. So, let's begin. So, first of all, Vox is from Dartford in the south of England. It was founded by Tom Jennings and Dick Denny. Tom was an accordion player and met Dick, uh, who was an amateur guitarist passionate about electronics during the war. They were playing together in the air shelters. After the war, Tom opened a music shop the Jennings Organ Company, where he refurbished old accordions and other instruments, but he wanted to build something new. And Dick Denny was the perfect partner to do just that, because he knew about electronics way more than Jennings did. It was 1952 when they released their first original product, the Univox, a portable, self-powered keyboard. And it was so portable that the speaker and the leads were literally stored in a suitcase. It worked with valves and that actually gave them two ideas. The first one was to build a company that would create instruments and amplification systems. And that's what they do in 1957. And second to call it VOX, which is Latin for voice. At the end of the 50s, rock and roll was massive and everyone wanted an electric guitar. And what do electric guitars need? Amplification. And since there was a ban on importation of US-made goods that lasted from 1951 to 1959, Vox became the leading company in the sector. And how did that happen? So they took the speakers from the Univox and they made the G10, a guitar amp. Wasn't very good but it was a start. But that gave them the idea for the AC15, which stood for Amplifier Combined 15 Watts. They knew they had a great product and they contacted Britain's biggest band of the moment. Do you know who they were? The Shadows. Yes. So they contacted the Shadows and started using the amps. But with the growing competition from Fender, who was making high quality instruments and high quality amps, like the Fender Twin, Deluxe, etc. They had to up their game. Also, The Shadows, being so famous, had girls screaming and ripping their clothes off for Cliff Richard and using 15 watts amps started being a problem. So the band went to Vox and said, mm, listen, we dig your amp, but we can't hear what we're playing. Dick Denny decided to start working on a double AC-15. Tom Jennings, though, didn't want to hear it. He thought it was going to be too loud, too distorted and said to his partner that that was just impossible to make. Denny, though, believed in his idea and decided to continue working on it in secret. One day Jennings found out and, oh boy, to be a fly on the wall. The huge fight ended with Jennings telling Denny, fine, you can make 10 double AC-15 But if it goes wrong, it's all your fault and you take full responsibility. And that's how the AC30, the greatest amplifier in music history, was born. I mean, isn't that crazy that literally the people that produced it and made a lot of money out of it at the beginning weren't really into it?
1: That's usually the case with most things, isn't it? You say that about a lot of startup companies. Or even bands, or even people who end up rich from something that they didn't think it was gonna do well in. Stupid. <laughs> that's the that's word. You gotta have it. a vision, I guess. You have to have somebody like uh, Dick that has the vision for it and actually willing to take a risk.
0: It's very hard to believe in something when some, when everyone else tell you not to do it. So what did they do? They gave the amps to The Shadows, and that was just the first of many bands that would adopt Vox amps. The most famous of all time was just around the corner. One day, a very kind and proper gentleman walks into a music shop in London, asking about the AC30 amps. Yes, sir, how many would you like to buy? I imagine the employee saying. The gentleman looks at him and candidly says, I can't really make an impression here. Oh, I don't want to buy... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to buy them. I want you to give them to me so I can give them to one of my bands. The other guy's jaw must have dropped. He called to his manager that said, What are we? A philanthropic organization? Who the hell does he think he is? Well, he was. You guess.
1: Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why is it always your answer? <laughs> One day is going to be the right one. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it?
1: Brian Epstein.
0: Yes, it was Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager. Again, talking about having a vision. <laughs> he literally wanted them to give... Um...
1: He, had... he was a great guy.
0: Yeah. And I believe in the documentary we watched about Box's history, that the guy said, well, what is the band's name? The Beatles and yeah. is a... That's not even a good name for a stuff
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They had a lot of that.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I guess he was a man that knew how to get things done.
1: <laughs> Incredible guy, Brian Epstein. Yeah. I hope they do more uh, documentaries and stuff. We on should it.
0: actually do an episode only about Brian Epstein.
1: Yeah, he's a fascinating character.
0: Yeah. Well, let us know if you would like to hear us babbling about burn ups time probably for two hours straight because <laughs> uh, that might happen in the future um, but he made it uh, so he left the shop with a bunch of new amps and a promise his band would have exclusively used Vox stage gear and that's what the Beatles did for their whole career
1: not the whole career but his, his deal was for as long as he was the manager they would only use Vox and that's what happened until he died yeah. After that, they started using Fender and
0: stuff. Yeah, but they weren't even performing live, were they? No, no. So, I guess stage career?
1: Yeah, the whole stage time. Was all <laughs> yeah. Boxed.
0: But I think it wasn't only because they were tied to this deal.
1: I think they got a little bit uh, dissatisfied with them later on. Mm. Just because they wanted that American sound. Yeah. Because, don't forget, they didn't think... Oh, yeah, the British sound is great. No, exactly, they wanted to it's sound only like something Americans, that came
0: afterwards, like, oh, the sound of the British invasion. Yeah. But while they were, you know, doing it, yeah. they probably didn't realize.
1: Now they're always trying to get the more American sound. Yeah.
0: So what were they using? I know that they had to have their sound boosted a few times because it was very, very hard to hear what they were playing.
1: The very first ones. I think John had an AC-15 And George had the AC-30 Because there was only two in the shop Probably Rushworth's Uh, They were the cream ones Which were lovely Uh, But because obviously John was rhythm And George was lead They decided that John would have the AC-15 And George would have the AC-30 Yeah, fair enough Both look the same Just different Power power. Um, And then they got there. I'm not sure if the, the first black ones were just recovered. I seems to think in my head that somewhere in the past of me delving into the Beatles stuff that <laughs> the, the first black ones were actually just recovered. Mm-hmm. So it was the same answer they had at first. And then they got both A-C-30s. Paul got the I mean, t 60
0: yeah. yeah, but I've heard that that one always had problems because it overheated.
1: Yeah, it was actually a solid state, that one, yeah. it wasn't a valve amp and it had a lot of problems.
0: But I've read that obviously they had to have a boost, both John and George, in the back panel and they, that became like an AC50 basically.
1: Yeah, then they changed, um, if you see the 1964 US yeah. uh, Washington one, you can see them, they're AC50s. Mm-hmm. But this, I think it's a cabinet and a amp separate it wasn't a combo mm-hmm. uh, you just have, you can just see the speaker cabinet yeah and then the amp would be on the floor.
0: And then I read that uh, they used something that is called ACO100 actually because it needed to be very very powerful for America.
1: Yeah, if you get like later on
0: well for the massive... Shea Stadium didn't they um, prepare something specific?
1: Yeah, I can't remember the actual one, but they were like really tall things, big. By the end of it, they were massive. Yeah. Uh, and
0: still they couldn't really hear themselves, I think. Yeah. Because the venues were big, the the crowd was massive and no one was really used to that amount of people. Yeah, it
1: was a bit new thing, wasn't it that type of show? I think that later on in recording they went they always preferred the AC30 over the other box stuff they had. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the recordings even later would be on the AC30, as far as I'm aware. Because yeah. it was just a better amp mm-hmm. than those big things. Just a decent amp. It's perfect. It just wasn't loud enough because it didn't have the PA equipment then. If it was now, it wouldn't be a problem. They'd just mic it up. You, know?
0: you use the AC30 for the shows where you're not provided with PA.
1: Yeah. Well, I use it all the time.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you a question that um, I always wonder. Is there like a specific way, because I think there is, to mic up an amp? And um, what's the best way to mic up something like an AC-30?
1: Well, for live work, I always get told by the sound people that it's... You can choose either speaker because obviously both speakers produce the same sound. You would normally just have one mic on one speaker and it's usually, the position is just a little bit off axis, like to the left or the right of the speaker, usually the left. I always see it not in the middle of the speaker. Yeah. That makes sense. It always. I think it's slightly over to the, just off axis. Mm-hmm it's um, probably sound engineers listening to this so no that's completely wrong <laughs> please
0: let us know <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's what i've always noticed i've seen
0: mm-hmm. but you know we know that the beatles were the ones to make vox a very big deal uh but they weren't the only band that was using um Vox everybody then Yeah the Rolling Stones actually which funnily enough Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are both from Dartford yeah. <laughs> um and uh, apparently their early gigs were a showcase of Vox equipment and then we have the Searchers we have the Hollies the Animals so many bands yeah, actually isn't it um and as we were saying, Vox powered the music of the British Invasion from the gigs that people were doing in pubs to the ones at the Shea Stadium, you know. Yeah, it was all Vox. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Vox used to send its engineers uh, on tour with the acts they were sponsoring, obviously, if they were, were big acts, like the yeah. Beatles or the Rolling Stones. And um, one of their engineers, Alan Harding, has been lucky enough to go on tour both with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and um, he's got interesting stories (laughs) to tell like for example um, when he was on tour with the Beatles for Paul's uh, 21st um, birthday party he saw a box with a big 21st um, written on it and a girl came out of the box (laughs) How did they define her clothing?
1: Uh, scantily clad,
0: <laughs> which is a word I didn't know. <laughs> and I don't know. It's not surprising to no. me. Um, and probably. Sherry sure
1: would have preferred a Vox, <laughs> a new Vox. Uh, are you sure?
0: <laughs> Maybe a girl coming out of a box amp. No, because then it's not a real amp, is it?
1: Sherry would have preferred a reliable Vox. <laughs> paul
0: <laughs> Paul, if you're listening <laughs> i hope you are let us know um and the rolling stones this story about the rolling stones again i don't think would surprise anyone but i just, just think it's so funny <laughs> he said that when they were on tour and um this engineer was at the hotel bar uh, oh sorry at the hotel restaurant um He would see the band coming down for breakfast with women dresses. (laughs) And he was so embarrassed that he would try to, um...
1: Dissociate. Yeah,
0: like sit the furthest away (laughs) from them in the restaurant. How mad, how mad...
1: Disassociate.
0: (laughs) But, you know, it's always so crazy, you know, all the people that obviously keep the machine up and running, um... Hmm. And yeah. they are not even living glamorous lives. And no. uh, imagine these people from like Darfur, probably born in the 19, I don't know, 20s. They suddenly are on tour with, yeah. you know, all these musicians. And it's...
1: Probably hating every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I always wonder that, you know. I always wonder that because the old school people are probably, we're probably yeah. like, why the fuck is this shit? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so... Here we go, let's talk about what makes um, Vox amps so great, specifically the AC-30. So the sound is different, it's clear and it's not too distorted. Um, What can you say about what makes them different, for example, from martial amps or Fender amps?
1: Well actually the idea in the early days of amplification was to get rid of distortion because obviously it makes sense, you would want a clear sound they used to have, don't ask me how, the, how it actually works technically, but it's called like negative feedback.
0: Oh yeah, which, I have a note. <laughs>
1: which uh, cancels out distortion.
0: Yeah, because basically in hi-fi systems, you want to listen to exactly what you put in. So what you put in the system. You want, want it to reproduce that exactly when, you, when it comes you out of the system. So obviously, all amps had some level of distortion on the output, yeah. um, and neg- negative feedback was trying to was was their way to try to avoid that.
1: Yeah. Again, I don't exactly know how they did that.
0: Oh, I don't really know. Some
1: electronic wizardry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But. So, what about it?
1: So then. Um, when Vox were creating their stuff They thought and rightly so that the guitars electric guitar sounds a little bit better when it's got some distortion on it so they didn't put the negative feedback circuitry in it So it would create like a natural distortion. If you have it at low, anyone who's played uh, amps with guitars knows, but especially valve amps Different beast. Because if you play, I used to play solid state at first, and they're all right. But once you play the valve amp, it really is like CD and vinyl. You know, it's a different thing altogether. You get more natural sustain. The notes are clearer You can hear separate notes more than you can with a solid state. It sort of disappears on a solid state. Just harder. Actually, hard work. A solid-state all oh, right okay. you've got to put more work in you know, yeah because it won't sustain as much
0: but what would you say about like the very high quality Fender amps or Marshall amps
1: well they would be Val you know about Marshall Marshall's more sound. yeah Marshall's more like set up for
0: big disto- yeah, like, heavy distortion
1: the 70s classic rock era type yeah stuff
0: is Fender like more like early rock and roll yeah. super clean.
1: Yeah, but then they did do amps later on, which were more. Will... Although I'm sure if you, because it's still a valve amp, I'm sure when you wind up a valve, Fender valve amp, it will start to give you some distortion, obviously. But I I've had not... from I had one good Fender amp, but it didn't last very long. Oh yeah,
0: tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> so when I
1: started the first band that I was in, our key like goal at first was to get decent valve amps. So the bass player got one first, it was an Ashdown, and then the rhythm guitarist got a Vox, it was called a Tony Bruno, it's a little bit like an AC30 but different, <laughs> it was a special edition thing, dead nice, and then I got a Fender Blues Deluxe, which is like a Tweed amp, looks great, sounded really really nice for about five or six weeks, <laughs> and then it was brand new and it just died. At one gig. So I took it back to the shop. They couldn't find anything wrong with it. They ran it all day. Couldn't find anything wrong with it. A couple of gigs later, it died again completely. And I took it back to the shop and they said it was the ribbon wiring. It was a faulty point on them. Just cheap wiring.
0: So basically...
1: So I had a choice. You heard it here. (laughs) I could have it fixed again. Or I could swap it for something of a similar price and pay the difference or get the difference back so i asked if they had any ac30s in and they had one in the manchester shop this was dawson's music so i thought well yeah it was i'll only have to pay about 70 quid difference so i was like yeah yeah give me that box <laughs> i'll have the ac30 because i only one anyway uh so that's what i did got the ac30 loved it you know never had a problem with it apart from one valve change and that's in probably eight years now seven mm-hmm. or eight years so it's were due you- for a valve change again but I've never had any other problems it with must
0: it. have been made up when you finally got it yeah
1: it was the modern one obviously modern equivalent the AC 30 C2 which just means Celestian two speakers yeah the greenbacks the uh, Oh, we're mode. gonna we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get to that. So
0: I have another um, interesting point of view here that I read again because I am not able to actually express these things um, <laughs> with my own words, but I try to find out how and why AC 30s are so special. And I found this very, very interesting piece that Dave Hunter wrote on a v- Vintage Guitar magazine. And he said, instead of just cobbling together a medium-powered gramophone amp with a 1-4 inches input and built-in speakers, Vox voiced every element of the AC-15 circuit and then the AC-30s to accentuate the guitar's full lows, forward mids and shimmering highs. And that actually makes me think of all the other new, um, you know, features of the AC 30s. Uh, not only the Celestium blue G12 Elmico magnet speakers, but the four inputs: two for normal and vibrato channels, and then the top boost, which I believe is was a big upgrade.
1: Yeah. Actually, the first ones had six inputs because you had a separate tremolo channel. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You had a normal channel with two inputs, a top boost channel with two inputs, and then the tremolo channel with two inputs. Mm -hmm. And the trouble is you couldn't, you just had to swap for each. If you wanted tremolo, you had to swap it Mm. into the other channel. Whereas mine, the modern one, it's got a tremolo. What
0: what channel do you usually use?
1: Always top boost in the top input. Mm -hmm. So the most top you can get. Yeah. Treble-wise.
0: Fair enough. And uh, let's talk about the valves.
1: So in the power stage, they use EL-84s. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And in the preamp stage, they use ECC-83s or 12AX7s, which is just the same, really. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to kill me for saying (laughs) that.
0: But, um, you know, that's the only fault that everyone always talked about. But I guess it works the same for all amps that yeah. the obviously that's the only unreliable part because in general, I think AC30s are very reliable, but um so much so that when anyone expressed any type of concern about their reliability, they would Test them and throw them like. Yeah, I don't think you <laughs> could do three that. Three of stairs. I think if you threw mine down. Do you, you want know. to try? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> the old ones are probably more sturdy. In fact, definitely everything is. You know.
0: Yeah, and that come like that. That actually leads me to another question: What's the difference between uh, an AC thirty, for example, that the Beatles were using, um compared to an AC thirty that is sold today? I know, obviously, there are different types yeah, was a range. and uh, different prices as well um so let's say that someone was you know just like us obsessed with the beatles and obsessed with guitar gear and uh wanted to know what to buy uh obviously we agree that vox makes a lot of different amps uh, i have i think it's a pathfinder um yeah and uh, it's, it's quite good, we have the same. It's a small one. You have the bass one, I have the guitar one. Yeah. Um, they're good, but obviously the AC30, I know that it's not for all pockets. Like, you have to save up quite a bit to, to yeah, afford one. Indeed. But if you wanted to buy one, let's try to give, you know, um, I don't know, like some sort of details about what's the difference between the old ones the new ones and the different ones
1: well the old ones would have been not made out of mdf <laughs> but the the uh, wood that they made them out of would have been better wood obviously um everything would it's have been hand wired as it was with probably ex-military electricians usually in those days so everything was pretty quality made. Um, speakers would have been what are now considered the posh speaker of the blue Alnico magnet. Not the the magnet isn't blue, the speakers are blue. <laughs> everyone calls them. Um
0: You have the green one, don't you? Oh yeah oh, <laughs> Show me up. <laughs>
1: yeah, the green ones are Celestian greenbacks. Still again with stuff like speakers it's got kind of Personal taste, isn't it? But they started making speakers out of ceramics because it was cheaper. Probably started in but late. But that 60s. doesn't
0: mean that they're not equally as good. Well, yeah, it's just I different guess it's sound, a different Personal taste. Personal taste. But. I think I prefer wood. Of course.
1: Um, <laughs> but yeah, they wouldn't. It, the good thing about the sixties is you couldn't really get a cheap. You know, it's it's a bad thing and it's a good thing. Because now you've got more choice because you can get a cheaper version of it. But it might not be as good. It might not be as good quality. The range is so vast now that I don't even know what they're doing. I just know that the top end is hand-wired. Yeah. Which is just as as they were, probably. As good, as Mm -hmm. easily as the old ones. And I think the wood is not MDF either. It's made out of I don't know what they make them out of, but it's not going to be MDF. Not that there's anything wrong with MDF. It's sonic- sonically neutral. Apparently they tell me it pr- sounds like a good marketing thing, though, doesn't it? It's not going to affect the amp either way. It's not going to
0: mm-hmm.
1: like give the sound any better sound, but it's not going to take anything away. Yeah. That's what they tell me. But
0: they. <laughs> <laughs> People talking <laughs> to you <laughs> about Vox amps. I would
1: love a hand-wired one, but they're coming in at ridiculous prices. Oh, well, I think it?
0: we've seen a video. Yes, it was like two thousand something like that. Yeah, yeah. For, and they look like yeah.
1: the original Beatles ones, the Cream ones.
0: About the control um, that you have over the sound, like yeah, how uh, you can personalize it.
1: Yeah, you've got more choice with the cheaper ones, in effect, because the handwired ones. And made to be like the original one so you don't have as much control. I don't think they have a treble and a bass control. I think it's just one tone control. I don't think it has built-in reverb.
0: Which makes them very similar to the, to the original ones. ones yeah. yeah, They didn't
1: have built-in reverb. You would have had one control for tone which would have literally just said tone on it. Mm-hmm. You might have had tone cut. I'm not sure that's the good thing about the later ones like mine you've got a lot more choice yeah control over your sound basically because you've got treble, bass you've got but you've got tone cut as well reverb built in spring reverb which is the better reverb um, just more control mm-hmm. just not quite as quality made unless you get the hand-wired one but then you've got less control over what you so it's just yeah. I'd have, I would have a hand wired one and just use a reverb pedal if I had to.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: Um, just so nice. Oh. Professional <laughs> opinion, they, <laughs> they are so nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I called you in. <laughs>
1: My Fender Blues Deluxe amp was, I've got very fond memories of it, albeit not many. <laughs> <but> <laughs>
0: yeah, it lasts, like, how long did it last? Like, two oh, months? Probably about, yeah, something like that. Oh,
1: It was so nice though.
0: It looked nice.
1: Yeah. It had decent valves in it that would they make what I use now groove tubes. Decent speaker, I think it's a Jensen speaker. It sounded great for a very short period of <laughs> <And laughs> time. was the pretty... handle break as well. Oh, yeah, the handle. I was <laughs> oh just about God. to say it was well made, but the handle broke on it.
0: You heard it here. Probably not the best choice if you actually move around the lot yeah with you, your, if you're your shoving them in the gear. back
1: of vans and stuff it's gonna be <laughs> a delicate process
0: but yeah so let's go back to the story they want to get business in america Vox. yes <laughs> well i mean a lot of their acts of the acts that use vox are established names like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. They are successful in America as well. So why not, you know? Um, So what happens is that they make a deal with Thomas Organ Company to license um, the making of their amps in the States. It goes great at the beginning. The monkeys even used to hide inside a Vox cabinet in 1967 for their grand entrance to their shows. And in the same year, Vox makes a deal with George Barrison, the mind behind the Batmobile, to hit it big times in the States. Um, And this unusual collaboration resulted in the Voxmobile, which was a Ford Roadster. That is also an amp, but it's also an organ, and it's also a guitar. And I'm going to put a picture in my Instagram stories because it's absolutely crazy. Um, would you ever drive around with one of those? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, my God. it's. I mean, it's like one it of those. It looks a bit things. like the
1: Batmobile, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, but because it's the same person who designed it. How oh, is it? I just said it.
1: <laughs> oh. Wasn't this? <laughs> <laughs> Thank <you. laughs> um,
0: Yeah, I think it appeared in like TV programs or something like that but you know the thing is they weren't only producing amps and that's also what they wanted to advertise because they uh, were also making musical instruments so let's talk about that um, so they were making a lot of different things and uh, i think in general probably amps was and still is what they are
1: best known for yeah best
0: known for uh, but they were making the keyboards guitars and um at the beginning uh, guitars even if they were endorsed by brian jones from the rolling stones uh by their own admission weren't really good by, by, but by the mid-60s they were definitely a bit better um but again on their side they had famous musicians that were using them again um brian jones was using a teardrop shaped mark VI. Tony hicks and tony hicks it. 12 yeah 12 string phantom 12. do you like i i i'm on the fence about this i don't really like them they don't look very nice they have very weird shapes if you don't know what i'm talking about just check some pictures out
1: They're i never used to like weird. those 60s shape guitars but now i think they look great
0: <laughs> in your old age <laughs> yeah i think they
1: look excellent especially the the one that tony hicks used.
0: i think that it's also because there was this fascination about space that everything had yeah, to look yeah. futuristic or something like that i like know. them
1: now i think they look good those 60s designs. oh maybe
0: in a few years when i'm gonna be old like you
1: like the dan electro bass that looks great
0: i like the dan electro bass
1: yeah just excellent shapes
0: yeah i don't i don't know they look like um like brian jones's guitar looks
1: Say like
0: that. a mandolin <laughs> I don't mind it. I think it looks all right. I just you don't mind it. <laughs> oh. My
1: favorite is Tony Hicks.
0: It's it's like nice. his his it's like design. Right. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. But the good thing is that Dick Denny was always trying to experiment. So um, once he plugged the guitar in an Oxo box, and obviously, and g- it was all gravy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but guess what happened next? The Fuzz Box was born and the Rolling Stones used it straight away on Satisfaction, probably the most famous song. And that was a massive success because it started, it paved the way for pedals and a lot of different uh, effects on guitars. Jimi Hendrix would use a lot of them as well, like the wah-wah one. Yeah you know and um uh, vox also produced very good organs as well i mean it kind of started that way organs and keyboards and a vox continental for example was played by john lennon at the shea stadium during i'm down and it's you know it's great i wish i had one (laughs) um but interestingly enough dick denny decided to produce something that was you know a mixture between these two instruments together like a guitar and an organ And created, believe it or not, the guitar organ. Oh my God. (laughs) The body was the one of a Phantom 6 guitar. um, But the electronics were something completely new. And since um, I wasn't sure about how that worked, I will tell you what Wikipedia says. Organ tones are sounded in one of three ways. In normal mode, by pressing any string onto a fret. In percussion mode, by fretting any string and touching the included brass plectrum, connected to a short wire plugged into a socket on the scratch plate, onto any metal part of the guitar, or by pressing one of the six open string buttons. There is also an option to silence the lowest two strings and the organ section as a whole can also be switched off. There is a four-position octave selector, a six-position effect selector, a four-way selector for the percussion and a flute selector.
1: I'd love to see how much one of them goes for now.
0: Oh, hang on, but the thing is, like, I read that in 1966, a Vox, just to, you know, kinda have an endorsement, gave one to John Lennon. (laughs) But he never recorded anything with it. I wish he did. (laughs) I don't know why
1: he didn't. Because they were experimental.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Especially towards that era, you know. Oh, my God. I think you probably thought that it was a very ugly looking thing. (laughs) Maybe. Way too experimental even for them. But, um, yeah, it's very weird. I mean, it's a bit too complicated.
1: I wouldn't mind one.
0: I wouldn't mind one, I would I would try to play it. It looks very, it sounds very complicated, like there are too many settings that I think, mm. well, I'm gonna buy an organ instead, you know? <laughs> but, um.
1: For those days, though, that was like. Yeah, because of...
0: it's like, those days it was like, oh yeah, fuck it, let's try it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was the mindset, I guess.
1: How did more people not
0: get electrocuted? <laughs> earthing out things, totally they did. (laughs) You know, I just loved the thought that this factory in Dartford, in England, had 150 employees and it was producing these futuristic things. And going to America making a Batmobile that where you can actually play the piano. It was crazy
1: were once the leaders of the world
0: (laughs) (laughs) and um, you know producing all these you know kind of cutting edge technological instruments but since they were so popular well I guess the guitar organ wasn't that popular but in general Vox was popular they couldn't really cope because they had so much demand that the 150 employees couldn't really produce all those instruments or amps. So Jennings decided to sell controlling interest to the Royston Group, a company in the field of military electronics that was testing the technology to produce the black box. You know, the one that you have like on planes to-
1: Record the- uh,
0: Like if something goes wrong- Yeah. And that resists. So obviously that was, you know, a big invention and a big deal he thought that was going to be a great move and that with that Vox could produce more and fulfill their constant demand unfortunately they found themselves completely submitted to the other company and all the money that Vox had was taken to finance the black box and unfortunately when Royston soon went under it took Vox with it Royston and Jennings tried funding a new company but nothing would ever be as successful as Vox, which is obviously still in business and is today owned by Korg. And it is said that the latest models, so the ones produced uh, I think from 2005 uh, onwards are the most loyal AC30s that have ever been produced to the ones. That yeah. were originally produced because, um, <clears throat> I assume that when Vox went under, the brand obviously stayed important because they went under not because they didn't have enough people buying their products but because of bad investments. Um, and especially since you know the Beatles were always some so- sort of you know, always attracted, constant yeah, <laughs> and, uh, obviously, always attracted um, interest, um, people kept buying Vox products. The problem really was that um, it just changed company constantly until 1992 when Korg bought it and they're still uh, the father company this day.
1: I don't mind, mind being produced by Korg. No, exactly, exactly,
0: exactly. But um, probably since they went, like they fell into different hands for a very, very long time, um, nobody could be bothered producing a very loyal um, copy of the originals. Whereas now, apparently, they're the most loyal.
1: I do get the chance to play alongside a guy who has one of the early 60s Oh, yeah. His name's Neil Ainsby. Shout out to Neil. <laughs> Great guy. And uh, it does sound very nice.
0: Would you say it's similar to yours?
1: It's similar, but it's more bassy. It's got more warmth. Probably because you haven't got, like I said, you haven't got the treble and bass controls. It's a tone control. Yeah. Um, it's a very nice, warm, lovely sound. It's less harsh, I think. Mine's. Probably that could be the speakers though
0: Yeah. The
1: green backs are a little bit more harsh, I think. One day I might have to save up and buy some blue. Yeah. Only oh cream, they do a cream ones as well, which is slightly different. Is it? Just in terms of ohms and output, but they do cream backs they call. It looks like the Alnico, but the same. It's Alnico, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of blue, the cream. Not that many. Most people see the front of the amp. <laughs> But I like to look at the speakers, although yeah. you can't see him as much on the Vox like mine because the back is virtually completely covered. Mm-hmm. Whereas the old ones are a bit more open, you can see the speakers yeah. more.
0: You're a bit of a freak then, aren't you? <sighs> yeah. I just want to point out that Vox is not paying us to do this, because <laughs> yeah. it sounds like...
1: Although it's an invitation... If hello you... Vox, <laughs> if you're hearing me,
0: I'm here. He's got an AC30. I don't have an AC30, so (laughs) whatever you want.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and Vox amps are the best amplifiers in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Snap out,
0: snap out. I don't know (laughs) what happened. Something (laughs) got in (laughs) you. But yeah, guys, I mean, I understand that there is a big market out there, that there are a lot of possibilities. But if you want a sound that is very similar to the one of the British Invasion or rock and roll in general, I think the Vox AC30 is the amp for you.
1: Well, you can go smaller than that. If, you just, if you're not playing live, you're not oh, playing live Oh, exactly, like the
0: ones we have uh, do, here at home.
1: They do an AC15-1. They do an AC10, I think, yeah. There's lots of choices, anyway, uh, from small bedroom amps to...
0: Big stage amps, yeah, of course.
1: Jumps. But the AC30 is, like, the staple. Yeah. I think the one of mine is a reasonable price if you're actually using it for live work. Well, anyway, with whatever you're using it for. I think they're around the £800 mark now. Yeah,
0: the, the little ones that we've got there, the Pathfinders, I think are around the 100 and something. Yeah, I think which is you know quite good if you don't really want to use it for like you know a stage performance but you only use it to practice um, uh, actually Vox um, we actually are talking about AC 50, 15s or AC 30s but even in the 60s they had like you know the no, student was- version you know all the, um, the ones uh, to to practice in, in, in your home etc because you know it's I mean, it's not only a big cost, but it's also, you know, a useless um, amount of space that it takes if you don't really need um, yeah. <laughs> a big a big amp.
1: But if it's like your hobby and you collect these things, you just like playing in general, it's worth getting something that you really like. Absolutely. you like the sound of it.
0: Because people don't really consider um, the quality of an amp when they actually buy even a very good quality, guitar I, I mean I,
1: most people use pedals which you do need it for certain styles of music obviously but
0: but this is a rock and roll podcast and okay I, I we're talking I, about rock and roll I don't
1: <laughs> make anybody angry but I struggle to see the point of having a really decent amp and then put pedals through it mm-hmm. what's the point you might as well make your own speaker you know yeah because it's the pedal that's producing the sound yeah then you just the amp's just a cabinet basically
0: yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on what you want to play again. Because if you're playing maybe some you like do 80s need it, yeah. Obviously music, you need it for certain yes. stuff. But if you just want to
1: hit, if you want to hear the sound of an amp, don't put a pedal through it.
0: Okay. Now, last <laughs> question before we go: What's the best setup for rock and roll music?
1: Do you mean this amp setting? Yeah. So this would be like wild speculation again, on not it? <laughs> personally. I've got many compliments actually on.
0: Yeah, exactly. On that's the also tone. why I've, I was asking. But it, I, I guess it also depends on the guitar you're using. So the give us that, some specific. The, like some there's a
1: certain thing that has happened to me a few times, and I quite like it. <laughs> it's at gigs when other guitarists come up to us at the end. Say, that's, that's such a great tone that you get out of that amp. What pedals do you use? And they're looking around on the floor to see what pedals you've got, you know. And you feel they're proud of you. And say, no, don't use pedals. Just use the amp and the guitar, and then they want to know what setting you use. You know. Yeah. So my guitar is half and the very mm-hmm. Hoffner, Hoffner, <laughs> Hoffner very thin. Hoffner, Hoffner. Hoffner, very thin.
0: Hofner is already one of my friends because they always repost everything yeah. I put. It's so
1: <laughs> two humbucker pickups. I only ever use the bridge pickup. I never use the neck pickup because it's for losers. No, it's <laughs> 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 no, just not what I like. I like the treble sound um i only have used that tone is on 10 all the time on the guitar and the volume then i will use the volume to go between solo playing and you know lead breaks and just normal playing and that even has an effect more so on a valve amp because the more signal you put into the guitar the more you get out of the amp so it'll be a different sound if you have the guitar volume low it's great because it's a different sound that's what you want you know And then on the amp, I will have, depending on the room, volume is, there's no point thinking about the volume, but usually I have the preamp volume a little bit lower than the the main volume, the master volume, and the treble and bass setting is always sort of, treble is around two o'clock, and the bass is around... 10 or 11 o'clock again depending on the room but that's usually my go-to setting dead Mm -hmm. simple bit of reverb bish bash bosh
0: (laughs) 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 yeah and i know i'm biased but i think your guitar tone is incredible honestly
1: i'm always thinking i'm trying to get better but it's great when i've had so many compliments off of the guitarists.
0: but that's also you know why i asked you to be here for this episode because I know how much like research. i away
1: this secret oh. the shakers. <laughs>
0: but I know how oh. much research and uh, you know passion and uh, you know um, obsession <laughs> goes into it. And I know that you've been actually you know trying a lot of different things for years and yeah. you know different gear, but also you know different settings. Perhaps i
1: just had a flashback memory to one of my early gigs. Mm-hmm in my first band, and I was using a high-watt amp. I've still got the amp. I can't remember the model, but it's an 80s one, I think. Single, 12-speaker, solid-state, decent amp. Um, but I just remember I was doing this particular gig where one of my uh, guitarist friends, Tom Chanley, <laughs> who taught me so many things about how to set up an amp, how to set up PA systems, he's great, Tom. And he always stuck in my memory because I had just set the amp up to how I would have thought it would have been. And Tom came over after like sound check or something. Let's have a look at your amp settings. And then he came over and he, I remember this thing. Like, he was going, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> and i had the bass like quite high on the amp. And he, he always told me that for lead playing. Obviously, again, this is depends on the music you're playing. But it just stuck with me because he said never have your bass more than halfway, and it just stuck with me. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, again, depends on the style of music you're playing. But if you're playing what I usually play, you, this works well, and it's always stuck with me that because I've heard many guitarists playing, and you think, God, you can't hear this the singular notes because you've yeah. got that much bass on. Yeah, it's just like it's not chimey enough. It. Yeah those guys taught me loads of things
0: that's good and you're kind of continuing yeah Yeah, well that that was very interesting and i hope um a lot of people found that interesting because i am absolutely useless when it comes to settings because i i don't really um you know i can hear the difference but i don't really know what goes into it and um I it's guess it's fun. it's very interesting trying to, you know, experiment a little bit.
1: Yeah, and the best way to do it is that, especially if you are playing in a band, because uh, you'll you'll play in one room on a certain gig, and obviously you play in different rooms, different room shapes, sizes,
0: and pe- with different amounts of people as yeah. well, because that it always makes changes. a difference.
1: You, you, your settings are usually roughly the same, but you have like you'll notice you have to put different settings in different. Scenarios, yeah. Which is an interesting thing when you first start playing because one night you'll be doing a gig, and however you've set the amp up, you think, God, this is the perfect setting, and you try and remember the setting. You know, next week you're playing a different venue, you think, <laughs> so, so, You played in, in a church, rubbish. actually. Yeah, churches are actually quite a good venue. Oh, it's,
0: it's, you've got good reverb there, yeah. <laughs> not,
1: you don't have to have any reverb on there, natural reverb. Are you
0: playing in Liverpool Central Library soon? Yes,
1: for the special event called I think it's called how did we do it
0: yeah it's an exhibition about the Beatles and Merseybeat
1: yeah Merseybeat sound in general from 63 hmm we're playing that uh, what day it's Saturday mm-hmm and the 17th I think yeah of June
0: well that's 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 great to know and every Sunday you're also playing at the Cavern so if anyone wants to hear Liams <laughs> legendary! So, <laughs> so. By
1: the way, the, the, the amps that are used at the cavern are the Vox8030 VR one which is the valve reactor. Mm-hmm. They're good. But they're not as good as the full valve one. Mm-hmm. I still get you can still get like a nice decent sound out of them. Yeah. and they're probably a little bit more reliable.
0: But again, the Cabin Club, the most famous club in the world, uses Vox. Vox. <laughs> so that should tell you something as yeah. well. Well, um, well, thank you very much for being with me. <laughs> um, I really, really like this insight into, like, you know, why we actually like this AM um, so much because many things I feel like there is a lot of hype around them but they're famous for being famous if you get me like they are famous because everyone uses them but no one really knows why they are famous in the first place and then there's always
1: most guitarists will know why they're famous
0: no exactly but but the thing is like many people i feel maybe like guitars or like playing music at like not a professional level so they might not know these specifics and i actually like obviously hearing your stories but that also gave me more knowledge about like if i wanted to choose something i would know depending on as you said the music that you're playing the sound that you want to achieve
1: <laughs> i love the thought of a lot of like angry guitarists <laughs> listening what you don't use pedal? boxes are rubbish <laughs> yeah, <but> anyway <laughs>
0: sorry we endorse <laughs> the box without Vox knowing this but <laughs> kind
1: of endorse bender but Sort of We're not down, saying <laughs> that the other,
0: it, hang on, what, what I really want to say, and this is going to be my disclaimer, is we are not saying that the other amps are bad. Yeah. We are just saying that if you want to achieve that type of sound, yeah, then it's, it's going to be a vox, yeah. specifically, if you can do it. Well, or that's the great thing voice.
1: about music, you know, like nothing's really wrong because everyone's that's so true. taste is so different absolutely. but it's good that there is so much difference
0: but if you don't want a sand. box you are right yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking but, but that's absolutely true it depends on what you're gonna play i mean if somebody said to me oh i'm gonna give you like a martial i'm, gonna, I'm not gonna say oh no no i'm not gonna have it you know yeah. but um
1: oh, especially a martial, martial blues breaker yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs>
0: but obviously we thought it was going to be very very interesting because of the story behind it as well because it's a bit sad in a way because usually companies tend to you know uh, go bankrupt because they, they don't have the sales they don't have the sales whereas here it was completely the opposite and it's a bit sad honestly
1: yeah
0: um Especially, you know, I always feel like stories that end at the end of the 60s are always quite tragic in a very, you know, kind of like Shakespearean way, like yeah. <laughs> very dramatic.
1: Well, actually, Jennings amps are now revered quite well. Yeah. Everyone would love a vintage Jennings amp.
0: No, exactly, because at the end of the day, the mind it's be- still behind the, it is yeah. still the same person. Um, but Vox is obviously more yeah, of a household name, uh, clearly. So, well, again, thank you very much for being with me and sharing your knowledge. <laughs>
1: <And> inverted comment. <laughs> I
0: hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, let us know what type of amp you have or what, what the amp of your dreams is.
1: And we will let you know where you're going wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, stop saying that. We said we were gonna say it after <laughs> the recording. <laughs> so if you want to say, as I was saying, the very weird car as well, <laughs> the boxmobile, you have to follow me. On Instagram at the Cats Whisker Podcast. And you can also follow me on TikTok at the Cats Whisker. I post loads of extra content there. And the podcast is available on all the podcast platforms, but also on YouTube. And I post videos there as well. So if you always want to be updated with what I'm releasing, you can comment there, even send me a message if you love the episode. And again, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next week. Ciao. Buonanotte. <laughs>